You're now tuned in to The Investor Show, where we teach simple wealth creation for the common investors. With investment advisor, award-winning author, international speaker, and founder of Royal Financial Investment Group, Prince Dykes. Once again, guys, this is The Investor Show coming to you guys from all the way from Japan. I know you guys are used to me saying Hawaii, where I'm usually at, but I'm out here in Japan, you know, doing a little time out here, but uh, it doesn't stop. The show must continue to go on. It's always, uh, it's, I know I usually say it's a nice, beautiful day here in Hawaii, but it's, I can't say the same about Japan right now. It's a little chilly here. I'm actually getting a real winter, but it's okay, but like I always say, it's all about what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. But, uh, don't forget to, uh, hit, if you're hearing this on the YouTube channel, hit that like button, subscribe button, share button, all the other great stuff. Um, email the show if you got any questions, if you want to be on the um, segment of Ask Sprint, um, all the other great stuff. You know, um, hit the subscribe button, like button, share button, all the other great stuff. I want to say thank you guys for supporting the podcast, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, books, all the other great stuff. And we're going to continue to make it continue it going in 2017. This is my first interview in 2017. As you guys can already see in the description in the description box, I have a very, very special guest. Uh, but as always, I don't have a lot of time, and I definitely you guys can have a lot of time. So we're going to jump straight into it. So today I have a very special guest by the name of Philip Taylor. How I ended up finding Mr. Taylor, um, he is the founder and the host of the largest financial bloggers conference in the world right now and uh, called FinCon. He has been hosting FinCon. This year is going to be in 2017 down in um, Dallas, Texas, where he's have, you know, uh, some of the biggest name in financial blogging around the world come in and do all type of great stuff. I haven't been myself, you know, me being in and out and on the road and stuff like that or whatever. But uh, one year I definitely have to go check it out. But I brought him in because I want him to tell his story. Where does he come from? Uh, how does he start this? What is his financial background? All the other great stuff that you guys want to know too. So without further ado, let me introduce to you guys Mr. Philip Taylor. How's it going, Mr. Taylor? Prince, it's great to be here with you. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh, also, when I forgot to, you know, I don't want to shortchange you here. You know, he's been all over the place from Forbes to Fox Business to Men's Health. He got his own blog. He got his own conference. He got his own podcast, uh, Masters of Money. You know, definitely go check that out. Um, but without further ado, let's learn about, a little bit about Mr. Taylor. How did he how did he get his start? So my first question for you is, you know, exactly that. Who is Philip Taylor? <laughs> Good question. Well, um, I'm the son of a CPA and a writer, and so naturally I would uh, find myself becoming a financial writer one day. It didn't start out that way, but that's where I'm at now. Um, yeah, I'm from Louisiana originally, ended up in Texas doing some corporate work after college, uh, got the CPA, got the accounting degree, did that for 10 years, and then decided that uh, writing was going to be my next thing. And started a blog in 2007 called ptmoney.com where I share my store with money um, and uh, help folks along the way. It's a kind of an accountability tool for me just to share my progress and talk about money stories that you know make sense for me and help me kind of change uh, things in my life and move toward the goals that I have. Um, that's been fun. Along the way, I've been able to meet a lot of other people doing the similar thing, writing, talking um, about personal finance. And so in 2011, I started a conference for those folks called FinCon. And we get together once a year. Uh, it's just a great community of people. And so luckily, uh, you know, those two businesses now sustain me. And we live here in Texas, my wife and three kiddos and uh, young kids. And uh, man, just... Uh, just really enjoying it. Still enjoy talking about money. Even started a new podcast, like you mentioned, called Masters of Money, where I just interview real people who are not afraid to share what's happening in their financial life. Because I really feel like 
us having these conversations, these stories, is what's going to propel financial change in um, in the United States and across the world. So we need it, and I'm lucky to be a part of part of it. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, that is that's a crazy combination. Your you, what was it? Your mom or your dad was a CPA? Yeah, my dad's a CPA. So I kind of grew up okay. in that world, and I, I wanted to reject it and try to my own thing, you know. And I tried for a little bit, but eventually uh, I took that first accounting class and I aced it. So I was like, well, maybe this is for me. And so followed in dad's footsteps and enjoyed it, but you know, realized that having my own practice and and uh, doing. Uh, client work like that, or, or even working in corporate finance, just wasn't for me. And so I needed to kind of have my own entrepreneurial endeavors. And luckily, I guess the creative side of my brain took over and was able to, you know, share my ideas with the world through my blog and now my podcast. That's pretty interesting. You know, that your dad is a CPA, your mom is a writer, and you kind of like combine that together. You know, mm-hmm. I, I understand where you're coming from when you say, you know, for people who understand out there, you know, a CPA is a, uh, Certified public accountant, you know, uh, it's pretty much like a whole other degree. It's pretty uh, industry standard uh, CPA, you know, they specialize in taxes, accountants, and stuff like that. So people keep hearing the term CPA, CPA is being thrown around, you know. Um, so you understand what that is. So one of the, the big things, you know, my parents were school teachers, and I said, man, I'm not going to be a school teacher for nothing. I don't not want to do that. My, my mom and my dad and my aunts and uncles were school teachers. I don't want to do that. So even though I'm not a school teacher, I still kind of find myself teaching in the same way, but in a different yeah. context. Kind of crazy how that works out. So yeah, there you go. We, we you take from yeah, it, it, mm-hmm. it, we take from all parts of us to to make who we are. Yep. So now, when you got onto this uh, this path, um, was it kind of something that kind of naturally came, or just something that you know you were kind of saying, hey? Um, you was going through some financial issues. What got you so yeah. interested in it besides, you know, your dad being in it and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, my my father and my CPA passing that exam and getting the accounting degree, they helped me to a degree in terms of helping me with learning how to invest for the future, learning how to, uh, you know, do my taxes properly. Um, and But really, to be honest with you, that – background didn't really prepare me for like managing my money on a practical daily basis and living within my means, you know? So early on in my life from probably 22, 23 on to about 28, uh, I was kind of floundering around financially. You know, I I had some leftover credit card debt from college, had some student loans. I was, you know, taking out car loans here and there. And I, I just wasn't seeing my savings really accumulate into much you know I try to save at the end of the month a little bit and then the next month I would overspend and so I'd pull that money back into my checking account and spend it and just didn't really feel like I was getting ahead um, and I'm not sure what was actually the catalyst for it but maybe it was, it was I got really serious when I was getting about to get married so I met my wife in 20, in, when I was 28 and uh, decided that I needed to by the time you know I was a couple years into my marriage, I wanted to I wanted to uh, you know be uh, be debt free. I wanted to uh, have some savings saved up because I was going to be a dad, you know, and just you know life and it's you know the adult part of life I guess started taking over for me, and, and I realized uh, this was a, a passion of mine, you know, to fix not only fix this but to optimize it and, and to potentially you know retire early one day or potentially uh, be a millionaire and save up for that and. Just be smart about my money. So I knew I had this somewhat of a financial background, but I really had to get my grounding in the basics of managing my money, living within my means. And I turned to Dave Ramsey early on in terms of a lot of the debt reduction stuff. Uh, and then I discovered personal finance blogs online. So before I started in 2007, there were a handful of uh, other personal finance blogs that were already out there. And I was reading them and being inspired by them and um, their I got the sense that they were doing it in part because they were wanted to hold themselves accountable to reach better and bigger goals financially for themselves. And so that's a lot of what attracted me to it. And so, uh, you know, that's why I ended up doing one myself because, you know, I wanted to kind of fast track what I was doing with my finances. Um, and then if that eventually became a part-time business for me and that it became eventually my full-time business. So, and then that even fast tracked my finances even more. So it's uh, it's been an interesting journey, but 
You know, I think it started by just me wanting more control, both over my career, both over my future and my life and security for my family, my future family. And so once those things started sinking into my life, you know, taking the actions to create the systems and learn the things I needed to learn to make progress with my money became a lot easier and a lot, lot more exciting to me. Okay, it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, uh, I guess we have very similar paths because, you know, right now I'm uh, active duty military and I've been active duty military now for, in June, it'll be 14 years. And uh, I started years ago with this, just uh, something on the side and it's grown and something that mm-hmm. I plan on doing once my military career is over and done with uh, to pretty much take it uh, full time. So, because, you know, we have to do something after the military, like, so you're 38 years old or something like that, you know, you still have a lot of life to live. Or should, you never know. But one of the questions, you know, we have a new president coming along by the name of Donald Trump. By any means, this is not a political show. But during that, throughout the campaign, you know, we all know that Donald Trump is, you know, pretty wealthy. He has billions of dollars and stuff like that. And we, we, it was scrutinized throughout the election. And I've had people inbox me this all the time. You know, how does this man make all this money, but he openly say, hey, I don't pay any tax. And, you know, mm-hmm. by you being a CPA, I, can you make sense of that in some type of way? <laughs> well, uh, that's a good question. Um, and I'm not sure that I know the answer. I mean, I haven't seen his tax returns to know. But, um, you know, I suspect it has something to do with uh, – his accountants, lawyers are able to structure his businesses in a way that uh, take any current earnings that his businesses might have and defer them to the future, right? So defer those tax dollars to future dates. So uh, his companies are successful. They make, business, they make money. But I, my suspicion is that uh, he's either found a way to shelter that income, so prevent it from being taxed right now and moved it to a later date, or put it in some type of entity or um, expensed it in some way that has, uh, and I'm just totally spitballing here. I have no idea, you know, how that's the case. Oh, yeah, him, but Yeah, I mean, from, um, as a business owner and as someone who mm-hmm. takes your capital, invests it in businesses, in employees, in buildings, um, the tax code, the tax structure is set up to, help you facilitate help since you're doing so much in the marketplace there's so much involved in the tax code that can help you out you know it's not just a simple w-4 for him and getting a simple paycheck and then him you know somehow avoiding taxes uh, by that it's <laughs> it has something to do with the business structure and like i said he's probably deferring as much tax to future dates um as much as possible so putting things in trusts okay. uh, also with re- heavy real estate investment comes the, the uh, depreciation factor. So, right, so the tax code allows us to depreciate okay. a tremendous amount of uh, expense for our real estate. For instance, just a small example, I own a rental property here in town, and it probably on paper makes me about $4,000 uh, a year, right? So, at the end of the year, I've collected rents and done all my expenses, paid my mortgage, and I make about $4,000, right? But when you put that in the tax code, I've got depreciation to account for. And I actually end up losing about $8,000 uh, at the end of the year from a tax perspective. So that actually helps me when it comes to tax time, the amount of real estate I own there and the depreciation factor. Now, that will come back to haunt me one day because there's something called depreciation recapture uh, that you know <laughs> once I sell the house, I'll have to account for. But uh, anyway, long answer to say – I don't believe that uh, you know Donald Trump's doing anything shady or anything. I think his folks are mm-hmm. using the uh, the tax code, and it's and it's all many complicated facets to their advantage. So makes makes sense, you know. And the reason why I ask that question is that uh, you know that you being a CPA and I have people writing all the time. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular person. I pay this much in tax. What is he doing? How does he doesn't pay anything in tax? I'm not a CPA. And uh, I was right there with you with them. Like, I'm pretty sure, it's, you know, by having a business, you are open to a lot of write-offs. So uh, right. just something I just wanted to kind of touch bases with and stuff like that. So now, 
going back over your life and getting into finance and personal finance and investing and stuff like that, what would you say was, you know, along the way, what was probably your worst investment? Like, what was that thing you're like, oh, crap, you know? Or if you had one, you know? And um, yeah. if you had one, what would you probably say your worst one was? And um, what are some red flags? And what are some common, you know, mistakes that people may run into and make them to avoid this type deal? Yeah, so uh, probably one of my more current, uh, and I have a lot of these. So <laughs> I'm by no means a perfect investor. Uh, across the board, I've made some <laughs> mistakes. Uh, and more more currently, specifically in single stock picking. So I actually keep most of my retirement portfolio in low-cost passive index funds through Vanguard. So you can actually go to my website, ptmoney.com, and see exactly the one fund I choose for all my retirement. So 95% of my money is in that, right? That's doing good. That's a 40-year projection I've got on those funds, and I'm happy with that. I'm not going to look at that money for another 40 years. But the, on the other side, I take about 5 to 10% of my portfolio, and I do dabble in uh, more less diverse types of investments. So, for, for instance, I do do some single stock picking. So over the past couple of years, I've chosen two socks to, uh, to play around with. The first one was Twitter, and I rode that in 2016 uh, and lost half of my – my value in, in 20, no, sorry, 2015, I lost half my value in Twitter. Um, and then the, this year I chose Etsy thinking I'd make that up. And Etsy is mm. down now probably uh, 5% on the year. So <laughs> I have, uh, I've not done too, too hot in a single stock picking. And that's why it's a small percentage of my portfolio because I don't trust myself to, to, to uh, do well in that department. Another area that I've, um, more recently discovered that is a bad investment is my rental property. Uh, we put, that was our old home. So we put 20% down when we first bought it, which I think was a smart move at, back in 2007. Um, and then we decided not to sell it, keep it as a rental property when we moved out. So in effect, I had roughly 20% invested in that rental property. Well, the market has shot up in our area. And so that rental property is now worth uh, almost double what it was when I bought it. So in that sense, the investment is doing good. So you would say, oh, that's a good investment, PT. But actually, for what my renter is paying me for to, to use that equity, so my renter is paying me you know, $2,175 a month, which is a pretty good rent. And so I'm making my cash flow. But if you look at that compared to the equity that's in the house, it's almost like one or two, only one or 2% annually that I'm making. So imagine you putting $100,000 um, in the stock market and only getting 1% or 2% back at the end of the year. You'd be pretty sad. You'd be pretty disappointed. Um, and so that's kind of where I am with my rental property right now. I'm feeling pretty deflated. And so I'm thinking about doing a uh, some type of uh, home equity line of credit or something there and, and cash, or refinance, sorry, not a home equity line of credit, but a refinance uh, where I can't take some of that money out of there and maybe invest in some more properties or something. But uh, anyway, long, long story, those are a couple of recent bad investments. Yeah, so biggest one for me in single stock picking area was Eagle Pharmaceuticals back in 2015. Uh, that 5x over the year. So I bought it at like $18 a share, and it went up to 95 or something like that by six months. So it's crazy. Uh, I only had like 500 bucks invested in it, but 
it uh, it made me some money mm. at the end of the year. So that's my one single stock picking victory. And that's probably what led me to go <laughs> the Twitter route and the Etsy route. And uh, so I've lost all my earnings from that. Um, what else? Um, you know, a, a big investment for me has been in, in my businesses. And those have probably produced the mm-hmm. most return for me. Uh, I'm a bootstrapper in that I start my businesses without any without borrowing money or without uh, taking on, you know, any investors or anything like that. So I've started both my businesses, both my blog and now my uh, conference, just with my own funds and my Mm -hmm. own time and energy. And both those have paid off tremendously. And so I'm bullish on uh, investing in future businesses for myself. And so I see that's where a lot of my return can come in the future. And if I focus and I just have fun with that more so than real estate or, or stock picking, um, for others that may be more enjoyable. Um, I do enjoy real estate a little bit, but, um, you know, for me, it's fun to, uh, to build something and that it also can become an investment for you in the future. So now I haven't capitalized on either of these businesses. They're throwing off some cash, which is nice. And hope and on paper they're looking like they're valuable and worth something, but uh, you know hopefully one day they'll they will uh, pay off in the in the capitalizing sense. So we'll see. Awesome, you know that's good that you know, and I like to get into that stuff and, and stuff like that. I like to let people see, you know, going into the world of investing that you know nobody's going to be perfect. You're going to have some bad ones because, you know, uh, like you said, your first investment, you did real well. And sometimes you make that mistake. They become overconfident and say, hey, I got this thing. Then they overinvest into their next investments, and then they end up wiping themselves clean because they lost the profits. They lost the, you know, the confidence bills, and they put more money into stuff that they shouldn't have put it in. Uh, but it's good that you shared that so people can see, hey, you know, the world of finance is investing, though. Um, it may not work out in uh, real estate, but it can work out in business. It may not work out in business. It may work out in the market. So it's just, you know, it's different ways to invest. It's not just the market, you know. You can go to the market, go to real estate, you can go to your own businesses, stuff like that. Invest into yourself, education. But um, mm-hmm. my question for you, you know, right now we're in the midst of being a CPA right here in tax season. Um, I know some people that, you know, they've gotten pretty great jobs and, um, or maybe, maybe not have gotten pretty great jobs, and they're looking for ways to kind of like, I know you don't see everybody's tax, you know, they don't have their whole application and forms and everything in front of you, but what are some general things people can kind of do to uh, expose themselves less to uh, taxes? Yeah. So two, uh, several ways to think about, well, two main ways to think about this, right? So, one is reduce the amount of income that you're having to report to the IRS. So um, obviously you want to make as much money. In real life, you want to make as much money as possible. But you want the amount that the IRS sees as taxable income to be as low as possible. So you need to look at the – understand the tax system and understand you know, ways to do that. One quick way to do that that I like that kind of has a double whammy is to invest for your retirement through – um, tax advantage in accounts, so things like a 401k or a Roth or a sorry, traditional IRA. So by investing in these, so you make uh, $100,000 this year, and you invest um, 10,000 of that in your traditional IRA. Well, you made $100,000 on paper, and you've got 10,000 now in your retirement account, and the IRS will tax you only on right now. So you've reduced what the IRS can tax you. Um, So that's one way to look at it, by reducing that income. Um, Another way to look at it is trying to accelerate expenses. So uh, if you have, I mean, it's a little late, I guess, in the year. We should probably have made this segment for December, but uh, some of of these uh, are a little late to pull the trigger on these but Mm -hmm. yeah but accelerate expenses as much as possible so if you've got um, now don't let the tax the tail wag the dog as they say Um, don't chase expenses just so you can reduce your your taxable bill but if you are if you have expenses that you know are coming up in your business it might make sense to go ahead and invest in those now um, and and so that you can you know deduct 
uh, you know, those dollars from your current income. Um, just from a practical sense, I would say, uh, you know, as a business owner, you want to have your your accounts separate. So make sure your personal and business stuff is separate. Use stack software online if you want to. Start off that way. It's free to familiarize yourself with how your business might be taxed. Go down that road. And then if you get at the end of the return, you say, ah, I'm not feeling quite confident, you know, call up a CPA. See if you can book an appointment to have him look at it and, uh, and maybe help you out with your taxes. More importantly, a CPA would help you out with like future business tax planning. So they could help you with creating a business structure that might be more advantageous for your business. For instance, you know, I run my company as an LLC, but then for tax purposes, I uh, claim S-Corp filing status. And this has a little bit of a change in the way payroll taxes are. And we're getting a little complicated, I know, at this point. But um, long story short, a CPA will be able to tell you how, how, help you how to structure your business um, such that you'll be advantageous from a tax perspective. So just those are a couple of nuggets I got right now. But uh, Okay. But yeah. Those are, those are uh, 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 very good ones. And, and the reason, you know, um, like you're 100% right, this should have been an episode that we've done back in December or before tax season. But, you know, people don't really, you know, think about taxes until tax season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, People don't, it doesn't really come on the uh, the radar until around November, December, January, February time frame of taxes. You know, when you're yep. talking in March and April, May, June, just the everyday person that's going to work every day usually don't foresee taxes. So, but, um, you know, by it being a hot topic now and something that's coming up that's going to rev up even more, that uh, people can possibly take something away from it whenever they tune in. Yeah, now, something yeah. that you something that you mentioned earlier you know, you explained, um, you said, uh, you know, you, you're the founder of FinCon, uh, the financial conference. So could you go a little bit deeper into what exactly is FinCon? Sure. Like I mentioned in you know. 2007, 2008, when I was starting my own site, I was researching these other sites, the websites, people, ordinary people, some of them professional with CPAs, some of them with just backstories of getting out of a lot amount of debt or doing really well with their investing and sharing that, choosing to share that online with other people uh, for the sake of accountability, for the sake of, um, you know, just connecting with other people who are geeks about personal finance and so, or investing. And so um, I started meeting a bunch of these people at different conferences. Um, I would, some were in my own town, so I would meet them up for coffee or we would have lunch and we would just talk shop. We would talk about, the blog, recent blog post they just wrote or how to use social media, the latest social media tool or how to work with an advertiser on a particular revenue stream you want to you know, start up. So just sharing ideas of a little budding industry. Right? The digital media industry is continuing to grow. It's still in infancy. But back then it was really early on and we were still just trying to figure things out. And so the idea was that if I could talk to as much, many people as possible, invest in these relationships that uh, they will pay off down the line. And uh, that feeling, that um, concept helped me take my blog from a part-time hustle, something I was doing just on uh, nights and weekends, to something I did full-time. So I was able to leave the corporate finance world and become a full-time blogger. And uh, it sounds funny to even say, but that was possible for me back in 2010. And a year later, I said, this has been great. I enjoy being a full-time blogger, but now all my friends and my colleagues are all online across the world. So I'd love to get them all together. And so let's have a big party. And I was by no means the leader of this pack, but I was the first to raise my hand and say I'll throw the first party. So um, the word of advice I would give to any potential event planners out there, someone who would want to create their own conferences. Don't try to get people together that don't already want to be together. So find a group of people who are itching to be around each other and be the first to throw the party. And that made my job so easy as someone who's trying to market the conference and sell tickets and get people there and get sponsors interested because really everyone wanted to be there. They just were looking for the excuse or for the first person to do it. And so that's how I got into that world. I learned a lot about uh, event planning and how to run a conference and I've, it's been the best move I've made probably in business so far is uh, 
is making is making that conference because it's it's the connections I've now made and the position it's put me in as as someone who has the platform now um, have been tremendous and I could see me in some way leveraging leveraging that sounds that's a weird term uh, making use of the mm-hmm. platform that I've established for myself in the future from years to come so it's a it's a great party we've grown from 250 people now in our seventh year. In Dallas, we'll have over 1,500 people. So it's crazy how it's grown. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. That is truly um, awesome uh, what made you get into that and starting out and stuff like that. Now, how does someone become a a full-time blogger? Like, how do you make money being a blogger out there, you know? Yeah. How does that happen? For me, yeah, yeah. For me, it was about getting enough people to read my information. And so taking it a step back further, it was about answering the right questions for people. So never, you know, you have a financial question, the average person probably goes to Google and types that in the search engine, right? Well, I got really good at being one of the top results for those questions. So I was a good question answerer, you know, in the financial space. So I wrote a lot about you know, what, how I was buying my first house. I wrote about back then it was like cash for clunkers to the stimulus act. I mean, it was all these kind of hot button topics in the financial world that people were curious about. And so I wrote over, I've written over 1200 articles now for that site. So, you know, obviously it's been a 10 year process, but the first couple of years I probably wrote, you know, three or four times a week and just share my thoughts and ideas. And Google started sending me traffic. Social media started sending me traffic. It was all free. I wasn't paying to get that traffic. People were just coming to the website. And so the more eyeballs I got, the real, I realized, wow, this is a lot of people paying attention to my stuff here, reading my material. Uh, what do I do with them after they read my material? Do I sign them up for an email? Do I help them go get the tools and services they need to kind of execute on my education? And that's what I decided to do. So I started connecting with banks, brokers, and credit cards companies and saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, I've got a reader here who read this article about how to open a Roth IRA. I've told, I've told them everything they know about how to open a Roth IRA. The only thing I haven't given them is a link to go to an institution to do that. And so uh, that's what I started doing was connecting my readers to an institution, a financial company, who could actually serve that, that reader. And uh, that institution is willing to pay me a commission or a referral fee for that. So I just made that as big and as, you know, voluminous as possible. And it was able to get to a point to where it was enough money to replace uh, when it was about 4000 a month uh, in, in income. That's when it re- kind of started more or less replacing my corporate salary. So I, uh, I decided that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life, so, or at least for the near term. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's when I took off to do that. Yeah. You're tuned in to The Investor Show with Prince Dykes. Very nice, uh, and and that and that's a, a great way of how you started something, and, and you built, you created a platform, and you know pretty much you just the, the platform, you just a source of knowledge where people can come and get something, and you was connecting people to you know other resources out there, which made it a nice uh, happy marriage for you to yep. uh, connect and stuff like that or whatnot. So that's pretty awesome for you, you know, that that came out. Now, with the, the world of finance, you know, with the CPAs and uh, investment advisor representatives and, uh, you know, like you say, you came in the game in 2007 with blogging and you've seen the growth over the last decade of, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, uh, Snapchat, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, 
um, all these social media sites out there. So much information out there. How does one person know what to, uh, who to trust? How do you know what to trust over? You know, where do you get your information from? This is a great question. Yeah, it it is too much information right now. It is. Um, And so you've got to get really good at uh, discovering for yourself what's the best information and where you should pay attention. So I would first take a broad brush and say, I need to, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to put blinders on and, and, and immediately turn the blind eye to everything that's out there. So I would say at first, if you're just getting into personal finance and investing, I would try to read as much and understand as much as possible and look at it from all different angles, take it from all perspectives. Um, the internet has created a democracy of information. Um, that is a good and a bad thing. Uh, we were kind of hitting on the bad and that you may have some bad players out there, but it's a good thing in that there's so many sources that are going to relate to you and your story and talk to you specifically in your particular situation. So I'm very big on it. Um, and that's a part of the reason their conference has grown is because there's so many now, so many voices. Um, so at first I would say be open to lots of different channels, right? Be open to lots of different places. Um, but then I would say, um, look for people and places who are, who are good at sharing experience over just relying on their establishment. So they're actually sharing like the specifics of what they're doing. They're showcasing their history. They're talking about uh, case studies. So things, their actual numbers they're showing, like from A to B, this is what I did with my money. And, uh, and, and so there's like a transparency to it, right? Uh, the second thing I would lean on is accountability, right? So a lot of people out there will have a CPA, will have a CFP, a certified financial planner designation. I would lean heavily on folks who have that. And not, I'm not saying that just because, you know, I am one, but uh, I'm saying that because these people have something to lose, right? So I've worked hard to get my CPA. I've worked hard to establish myself with that designation and I could lose it. Uh, if I practice publicly in a space and do something inappropriate. And so, um, you know, I don't want to lose that. I want to maintain that the rest of my life. And so I think people with something to lose like that um, creates an incentive for them to work in your best interest. Um, And lastly, I would say you've got to, in some ways, become your own financial expert. So you can never outsource everything, right? So you've got to Take this information, absorb it, check it against your gut, talk to your friends about it, uh, talk to other financial mentors and experts around you, network as much as possible. And then uh, over time, you will become your best sort of BS meter, right? You'll be able to tell you're looking at some stuff that's not (laughs) above board or you're looking at some stuff that's not the best of the best. And so um, you got to take it upon yourself. This is not an, this is not a, there's no excuse for you to outsource your financial life. You know, you've got to become your own expert in a way. Um, and that's a, I, I see that as such a positive thing though. So some might see that as a burden initially, but it's such a beautiful life when you live it intentionally and you're in control of it, you know, and not to say that, you know, I'm saying that I'm at some perfect place or something like that. But with my finances, I found that my life has only improved when the more knowledge I've gained in this subject and uh, the more open I am to conversations and ideas around money. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of my advice for, for that, for that question. Awesome. Awesome. And you know, um, you made some great points on that and I want to kind of uh, back it up with my own piece of uh, just my own personal opinion with it too, of occupying and being in the space as well is that, you're 100% right. Look at, you know, the credentials, you know, look at the credentials, add up on the credentials, like, you know, with a CPA, uh, CFP, different licenses that are out there. Um, because the thing about it is when somebody has a license, he's 100% right that, uh, you know, you're held to a certain standard. You know, for example, a doctor uh, that has a license, they can lose their license. Not only lose their license, they can go to jail for malpractice, mm-hmm. all of the good stuff like that. And anybody that has a license, whether it's a series exams or whether it's CPA, CFP, um, that's operating in the financial space, you know, nobody's out there trying to lose their license because you worked hard to get them. 
Um, you know, you're not trying to pay fines, and you know, your feet are held to the fire, type of yep. thing. And uh, so that's one good thing. Uh, another thing is that you said uh, connect with people that have a that you feel comfortable with. Like you said about this story, the history. Why are they there? Who are they? You know, find people that you personally connect with versus just someone who's just pushing a product, a product or whatnot. So that's my uh, my word of advice, and then that's the thing I love about the financial investment industry and world is that mm-hmm. it's all uh, it's it's all numbers. You know, it's kind of yep. you know you, you can't tell me like, hey, I made a bunch of money off of Twitter. You know, I invested in it last year, and I can every anybody can go pull Twitter numbers up. You know. It's right. kind of hard to, you know, BS people when you, when you got pure numbers in front of you. But uh, he's 100 percent right. Go behind the um, education and credentials, uh, because you know, not saying that just because somebody has a driver's license they know how to drive, but at least they understand and know, and they have something they can lose, you know. So yeah. and uh, that's and, one and, thing. And print- yeah, and Prince, if I could add one more thing on top of the credentials, even sure. I forgot to say this, but. Mm-hmm. If if you're going to work with someone and pay them money uh, or use them as a source, understand how they make money. So I told you how I make money on ptmoney.com, right? The institutions are paying me to refer uh, refer you to their product or service. I disclose that on my website. That's really clear every time I do that. Um, and so financial advisors who are selling you insurance or selling you uh, investment ideas and, and funds, you know, be clear on how they're getting paid off of that. And so uh, someone who's helping you should always be comfortable telling you how they're getting paid by helping you. Um, and so as much as possible, don't be afraid to ask that question. It may not seem polite, but uh, it's important to take ownership and to ask that question if you're dealing with someone that's, that's working with you and your money. Because um, you just want to know, how. okay, it, there's nothing wrong with making money off of helping me. In fact, I want you to be rewarded by that, but I have to understand how so that I know where you might be incentivized to tell me something that may not be in my best interest. Just very, very true. That's a very good point that you made up, uh, showing that you have an invested interest of what somebody's going through. Uh, like myself, I'm not a CPA or a CLP, but I do have my MBA in uh, Series 65, Series 63 Life Health Accident Insurance License as well. But um, those things, you know, that's part of having your Series 65 being a fiduciary. You must disclose if you have an invested interest of saying, hey, I'm sending you to this company or whatnot and stuff like that. So that's a very interesting point. Now, we're tying this all together with coming into the 2017 where we have all this technology. We have uh, so much information out there. And my dad, he's getting ready to turn 71. And I always asked him, I said, Dad, why you didn't invest in me when I was a kid? And he told me, he said, well, you know, I, I just didn't know. I didn't have the resources that you have now. Now you can pick up your phone and find out this and invest through your phone. Whereas with me, I would have had to drive two hours away and find a broker and find some random person. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what was, you know, you can get information around for your phone and know what stocks are doing, know what investments are doing, get all type of news. And, you know, I had to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal and do all this other crazy stuff. So it was a little far-fetched back then. So now with us going into technology with apps and phones and this and that and all this stuff that's going on, you know, and it's my personal belief that TV is becoming obsolete and uh, radio is being what TV used to be and now our phones are being TV. You know, right. podcasts are replacing the radio. So with all this technology that's just great for the users and stuff like that, with all this technology, what do you see the personal finance and investment industry going to in the future? It's a good question. I uh, wrote down a couple things here. Um, so I feel like the, since the options have opened up, more people will be able to do it themselves, right? So it's allow it's, it's more DIY finance, which I think is a good thing. Um, I already mentioned the transparency and accountability thing. I feel like the walls are being torn down, all the traditional institutions and the traditional places that have, have um, helped us with our money. Uh, so we're able to see how things are working, kind of look behind the curtain. Um, and I certainly feel like media is changing as well in that it's, it's a low barrier of entry for folks like you and I to start our own radio shows 
um, and educate um, you know the consumer. FinTech is going to be is going to continue to be big. So the Silicon Valley, uh, the smartest guys in the U.S. down there are coming up with ways every day to help us with our money, whether that be in debt reduction, whether that be in budgeting and money management, or whether that be in investing. Um, and so the financial solutions are going to be coming down the pipe faster, and uh, they're just going to be in investing heavily in, in that area. And so I think we'll have lots more to choose from. So I think what will win in the next couple of years is the institutions and the media outlets and the fintech companies that are able to curate, and when I say curate, I mean really pull from the massive amount of information and data and resources that we have and just kind of pluck out the best of the best and let the cream kind of rise to the top and, and just serve that up to consumer. Because that's what we're going to be looking for going forward, I think, is, man, there's so much information, there's so many tools, there's so many things. I just need to boil it down. We're, we're human at the end of the day. We can only... <laughs> you know, uh, process and consume so much. So I think what's going to win in the future is people who are able to kind of distill uh, down all that we have into the simplest forms and uh, allow us to use it that way. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. That's kind of my feeling going into 2017. So you're pretty much saying that tools that can narrow, make uh, the individual person's job easier is pretty much going to be the future that people are going to go to. I think so. I think we're overwhelmed. I am um, with too many resources, <laughs> too many, too many tools, too many resources, too many ways to do it. Um, and so, I think what's going to win in the future is, is the people who are the gatekeepers of what's good. So I need to go to someone who's going to say, "All right, there's a hundred things out there. These are the top two. These are the top three. Like that's what's going to win in the future is the people, people who are is not people creating more new things." But it's uh, the people who are taking all the things that we have and saying this is the best. So we're hearing that, uh, you know, hearing that, um, you know, your thought process on that, I would say one of the kings would probably be brands, Hmm. you know, because with so much information out there, so much going on. uh, If I'm a regular ever since, I'm just going to throw this out there and put in a different industry. If it's so many cars to choose from. I don't right. know what type of cars. I know I want one. I should get into it, but it's millions of cars out there, or whatever the case may be. And nine times out of ten, you know, let's say I just can't drive my car up to Ford and get a car out of the assembly line. I have to go to a dealer. So the dealer that I choose is probably going to be somebody I know or trust of or heard of. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that, you know, the brands will become, you know, having that history. You know, that, and that goes back into who do you know, who do you trust. I look at people's history as well, how long they've been around, um, you know, experience and uh, credentials, and do I, and knowing their story, knowing who they are, and, you know, knowing that brand. You know, for prime example, somebody's like, hey, I want to go start an account and buy and sell stock. One of the top platforms right now is E-Trade or TD Ameritrade or something like that, and, you know, they, and the only reason why it comes to head is because they've seen it on TV, they heard about it, or, you know, they Googled it and they saw it. So I think that brands will pay uh, a huge role because when you look at it, if you buy stock from, if you if you brought Twitter from TD Ameritrade, I brought it from E-Trade, my buddy down the street bought it from Skytrade, we all still got Twitter stock. <laughs> we just yep. use different ways to get there. So... Uh, I think brands would be very important, you know, going into the future with, you know, so much clutter. But you're 100% right on that, you know, of uh, trying to narrow down what's going to be. So uh, one of the things, you know, we're going to go ahead and uh, start to uh, wrap this up. Uh, Tell uh, if anybody want to contact, you know, PT Money, how do they do it? How do they contact uh, PT Money? Yeah, actually, uh, you can check out the website at ptmoney.com. I'm on Twitter, at ptmoney. Mm-hmm. And then my email is pt at ptmoney.com if you have a question. Um, also, if you have anything uh, you want to know about about the conference, it's at fenconexpo.com. And uh, be glad to answer your question. And, hey, I'm going to throw this out there, Prince. I'd love to see you. We, d- we do live podcasting at the event. And so I'd love to invite you to oh, come do your sure. show live from the uh, – 
from the conference. We'll have a table and an audience set up for you and uh, love to see you do this live and in the fall from the actual event. That'd be cool. Definitely, definitely. You know, I'll put it on the uh, uh, calendar and, you know, uh, we'll just see could we make that happen, you know, to shoot it live and definitely bring the investor show. Because, you know, right now, like I, I'm usually in Hawaii. That's where I really based mm-hmm. out of and live. So uh, people see me do it in Hawaii, Atlanta, New York. So I definitely on the road now, Japan. So, you know, doesn't doesn't matter where I'm at. And, you know, I'll I definitely be glad to be there and bring the investor show and Prince Dice down to uh Finca. but we'll see we'll all right. see you know you know all right all right uh, it def- so one of the things uh is there anything you want to close out with anything you want to um leave off with yeah i'll just say this um you know i, I i'm so glad i i took control of my finances because it allowed me to have a little more freedom in my life to make choices to start some businesses uh to now have my wife at home with our kiddos and us to be able to travel a lot um, it, uh, it created an independent, uh, I think I never would have had, had I not, uh, cleaned up my debt and started saving more and figuring out this money game. So yeah, let that be encouragement. It's been a long process. It's been 10 years, you know, since I've really been serious about all this and, uh, it's taken some time, but man, it's paid off tremendously. So I'd encourage listeners to, to take this moment to, to take charge and, uh, and see themselves, you know, in the future, creating independence for themselves and, uh, and leading to a more fulfilling life. So appreciate you having me on Prince. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And for everybody out there, uh, thank you guys. Go check out, you know, the, the, the YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, website, uh, the books, apps, all the other great stuff. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, my name is Prince Dykes. This is the investor show until the next episode. Peace. Be safe. And I'm out.